This is the Pool Together Community Podcast. Pool Together is the world's number one no-loss prize savings account. You can visit pooltogether.com to deposit. You're listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. I'm your host, Millie Yearly, a.k.a. Tim, a.k.a. Hot Mike, a.k.a. Hold on for a second. Let me go pet one of my cats. And I'm here with George from 3DNS. Dude, thanks so much for being here, my guy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really great to be here. Totally. So listen, we always start the same way on the Pull Together Community Podcast. And I think it's important that we learn each other's journeys because I learn something new every time I talk to a, a guest about how they got into crypto. So please, sir, tell me, how did you get into this crazy world? Yeah, so so it's been been a bit of a ride, but first got exposed to crypto in 2013. One of my friends in high school uh, came to school and taught me about this crazy thing called Bitcoin. Didn't quite understand it, but you know, was talking with him more about it. His dad was an engineer, and so he had an extra you know, shitty processor lying around and helped us get a small mining unit set up. So started playing around with it there, you know, ended up losing a couple hundred bucks on Mt. Gox. And then sort of over the years, was a little bit of like a passive investor, following the space, reading different white papers. It was definitely much more of like a hobby. Um, and then when I graduated college, I ended up going into Walmart e-commerce, you know, sort of your typical traditional standard job. Got a lot of cool experience there and, you know, was following crypto still. And then especially during sort of DeFi summer, you know, was seeing a lot of really cool applications. There was a lot of, you know, usage going on. Um, and it felt more and more like I just needed to get into the space full time and that, you know, it's like in order for this stuff to go anywhere, it needs people to build it. And that this was, you know, one of the coolest opportunities I would probably face in my life. And so about two, three years ago, jumped in full time. My first job was at Commonwealth, um, where I was head of business. And so Commonwealth is a DAO tooling provider, does a lot of um, like DAO governance forum and interfaces. And so I was there for the last two years, left at the end of last year, uh, and then was taking some time to sort of evaluate the space, ended up meeting uh, the founder of 3DNS, Paul, um, and uh, really liked what he was building and so ended up joining the team. Nice. So you've been there since like beginning of 2023? Yeah, about April or so. So, Okay. Um, yeah. Nice, nice. So, wow, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a jump, right? DAO tooling governance to three Web three DNS services, yeah. So, uh, yes, how yeah. Well, what's the learning curve on that? Was it just easy peasy, just kind of fit right in, and or or was it like you know getting into a whole new space? It, it's definitely a whole new space. I think you know, you know, even just like very high level, sort of straightforward comparison. You know, Commonwealth's business model is, you know, really selling community tooling to, you know, community managers within crypto. You know, our target audience is, you know, really heavily crypto people. You know, it's people who want to do governance, sort of understand DAOs. Um, and so it's a very different kind of approach of, you know, how do you how do you talk about your product? How do you sort of understand things? We also were very multi-chain. So we did a lot of work in Cosmos and ETH you know, a lot of different kinds of communities. So one of the the cool things from that role was I was able to talk to a lot of different teams, see sort of all the different stuff going on in crypto. With 3DNS, you know, I'm a lot more focused on, 
like this one specific project. And also additionally, you know, if we want any chance of building, you know, a, a meaningful DNS solution, like our biggest competitors are realistically like GoDaddy and Namecheap, Google Domains, although they're winding down that business. And so it also forces us to think a lot more about non-crypto users. And so, you know, there's there's definitely some, you know, just nuances and how I have to go about doing my job a little bit differently and, you know, sort of the learning curve of getting involved. But, you know, I think ultimately, once you sort of start to understand like the ethos of just like decentralized tech, you know, if you take the time to understand how each project works, you know, it's not too hard to start to get up to speed to with like what different builders are doing. So give me the give me the the pitch for 3DNS. I would love to know like who your target audience is, like who are you actually selling to? What are you selling? What's the, you know, because I know there's there's ENS, there's unstoppable domains, there's, you know, the dot, like there's eth.limo, there, yep. I mean, these aren't competitors, yep. but this is just like all the ecosystem, right? So if you could, yeah. if you could just kind of place yourself there. Yeah, so there's there's really sort of like, two big camps in domains right now. You have ICANN domains, and then you have like non-ICANN domains. So, you know, taking a quick step back, ICANN is the international certification of names and numbers, something like that. Pretty much it's this like organization that controls like what are legitimate domain names, what are the rules associated with domain names. And if you want a domain name to resolve or, you know, be usable in a browser, it has to be ICANN compliant. And so sort of over the last few years, you ended up seeing some projects like ENS, Unstoppable, Handshake, Pop-Up that sort of rejected ICANN and were like, you know, we shouldn't trust a, a centralized entity to coordinate our domain names. You know, we should build our own system entirely from scratch. And and I like that. I, I like the ethos. Realistically speaking, like ICANN will always control what is in a browser. And that is really important technology. You know, all websites, you know, rely on this. And so we really approach this more from, you know, whether you want to call it like integrating Web 2 and Web 3, Web 2.5, whatever sort of approach. But we really wanted to enable web2 tech to work on web3 and so ens has you know dot eth unstoppable has a variety of like random endings dot coin dot bitcoin stuff like that we work with existing web domain endings uh, so dot com dot xyz dot finance dot io dot net etc and then we enable you to bring those domains onto the blockchain uh, the two major benefits there are you get improved domain security, and then you get improved uh, liquidity of these markets. So I'll, I'll first start talking a little more specifically about how the tech works, and then I'll, I'll go more into those like benefits. So pretty much we have an off-chain registrar, which is similar to how like GoDaddy works. Ultimately, it's sort of a, a database of who owns what domain and you know where they want it to be pointing to. And so you need to have one of these in order to you know have web domains. Once, you know, say I move georgebeal.com from my traditional registrar into 3DNS, once it lands in our off-chain registrar, that then sends a trigger to our on-chain registrar, which works very similar to ENS, which will then send you an NFT version of that domain. At that point, the off-chain registrar will become a read-only of the on-chain registrar. 
And so at that point, we're really able to go NFT first, domain second, and maintain all of the benefits of the domain. When you look at some solutions like ETH.limo, um, some of the like DNS integrations with ENS, uh, the real big flaw with those products is that you don't actually have control over the domain. You're just pretty much putting some of the right routing on-chain as well. And so then you can start to use your .eth as a web domain, uh, you know, like with ETH.limo, you can start to you know, receive crypto to, you know, say georgebeal.com. But in all of these systems, I can't actually control georgebeal.com on-chain. Um, and so, you know, where that gets important is, you know, in these benefits we've talked about. So first is sort of security. It is pretty easy to hack domains by, you know, if you can call up GoDaddy and convince them that you are, you know, the founder of Curve and you got locked out of your domain. You know, can you please redirect our domain to, you know, this website? Uh, and, and that exact example with Curve happened in 2022. Uh, and so there was a one day where Curve ended up accidentally displaying a phishing site and about $600,000 of user funds were stolen. And so, you know, these are very tangible risks. And so with our system, the only way that you can update the name records for a domain is by controlling the NFT and having it in your wallet, going and updating the name records similar, you know, you would with an ENS domain. And then the next benefits are that generally it's pretty difficult to buy and sell domains. You know, if anyone's, you know, tried to get a domain before, you know, you would experience some of those frictions. Typically it involves trying to get in touch with some broker, you know, doing some like shakedown negotiation going from there. And so we also believe that by bringing these domains on chain, you can manage them as on chain assets, have them integrate with DeFi, do all kinds of cool stuff with it from there, which again, you just like can't get from, you know, how DNS integrates with ENS. Gotcha. So so there, there's this conversation that's ongoing about on chain versus off chain. What is necessary that what needs to be on chain and everything else being off chain and it can still be decentralized but it doesn't it it doesn't have to be like not everything has to be on the blockchain so it sounds yeah. like from what you're describing just the the tech wise yes you have an nft that nft gives you permissions to change dns settings but is that also that those dns settings are off chain correct they're on your servers or are they also on chain so they they are both so they uh, the way our system works is they can only be changed on-chain, and then our off-chain system will simply just read the data from the on-chain registrar. And yeah. so, okay. you know, you know, to your point of, you know, what needs to be on-chain, what should be off-chain, with domain names, having the name records on-chain is a really big value add because that's how you can actually, like, A, guarantee the security of your domain, uh, but then even more so, that's, like, the actual tangible, valuable piece of the domain name. And so by being able to have the NFT be the sole governing asset for those name records, that NFT now is actually very valuable. Okay, so I think that one of the 
the biggest so so the answer is on chain is your dns settings and stuff are on chain um but they then they're taken off chain so that they're you know web twoified right so that your your dns is read only on the domain the web2 domain and the nft controls those settings so so then i think one of the biggest things and pull, the pull together community just did this uh is we have these gasless subdomains because ENS domains are great, but they're on mainnet. Yep. And if you want to yep. change a photo or a link, or if you want to yep. use it in any way, shape, or form, you got to pay some cold hard cash for that. And yeah. and so I know that there are plans for ENS to move to an L2, but then also there's this idea of like of of uh, you know having a pool together subdomain, which I love the projects that I love. It's really cool that I can actually have. Subdomains. I have tim.pulltogether.eth. I have tim.wasis.eth. I would love to have more of those things. And it doesn't need to be an NFT. I, it doesn't need to be that. I just want to be able to update my settings and I want to be able to like cycle through my wallets. And I would like love to see like a directory of my friends in the community that I can message and that I can, you know, get social with and stuff. So anyway, I, I'm just, uh, I, I don't know what... What do you think about that? What do you think about gasless subdomains, subdomains in general? How do subdomains work with the Web2 world? That sort of thing. Yeah. So overall, great question. So first, you know, on the note of gas, you know, I think a big unlock for domains on chain, you know, whether you want to call them ENS, whether you want to, you know, 3DNS or whatever, are L2s. You know, I think, you know, to your point, if updating your domain name costs $20, you're probably just not going to update it unless it's like mission critical. And so at that point, you know, it's it's not a very good product. Um, and so with that, 3DNS will only be available for registrations on Optimism. We're considering moving to other L2s down the line, but that's not a, a major concern for us right now. You know, generally, we're really excited about everything Optimism's building. And, you know, I think, you know, especially with 4844 and just generally how cheap L2 transactions are, it makes this product a lot more meaningful. You know, it's like if updating your records will cost you less than a buck, like that's probably not super meaningful for most people. But, you know, I think obviously, you know, if we can start getting closer to gasless or at least just very, very cheap gas. Um, you know, I do think that's, you know, where we need to eventually go both for domains and also just as an industry. On the note of subdomains, so subdomains are, you know, a thing in traditional domains, we will support them as well. There is going to be a little bit of just like technical questions we're sort of sorting out right now. But Paul, uh, back when so the founder of 3DNS, he was one of the core devs for base. And when he was at Coinbase working on that, worked a lot with the ENS team on building out subdomains. And so there's a couple questions just as you sort of take that concept into domain names, uh, like web domain names, but we should hopefully have some of that stuff sorted out over the next month or so. And then, you know, we can start offering, you know, pool together web domain names as uh, subdomains for people. Great. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a use case for like individuals to offer subdomains to people, but then also for, for communities for sure, which is really cool. So that's awesome. So who are you selling? Like, who's your, who's your customer? Yeah. So, so it's a few fold. So, you know, I think firstly, 
every crypto project should put their domain on our platform. There's just way too many tangible security risks in crypto right now, you know, DNS or otherwise. We have seen a number of hacks, you know, Curve and Ether Delta both had DNS exploits of uh, pretty significant size. So, you know, I think initially anyone with a, a high value domain, especially if they have any kind of financial services on the platform, it makes a lot of sense to just eliminate the security risk that is centralized DNS. From there, we're also working with some of the decentralized hosting providers like Fleek and Marlin and such to also offer sort of fully decentralized front ends. So, you know, you can have the DAO pay for hosting and own the domain. And so hopefully at that point, it also starts to eliminate some legal liability for DeFi apps. So I think, you know, that's sort of customer base number one. I think number two is definitely in sort of this like secondary market for domains. So generally we see there's about $2 billion in initial registrations of domain names every single year or renewals on just total registration fees. And then there's about $2 billion in secondary sales. Um, and, you know, so some of those include like OpenAI just bought AI.com for like 15 mil. And so, you know, right now, a lot of the secondary market is much like a lot of these like really high ticket domains. But again, it, it's pretty difficult to do any kind of transaction. And so, you know, on the flip side, you look at like NFTs and like even this year, the NFT market is on track to do $10 billion in secondary, you know, in one of the worst, you know, bear markets. You know, generally, we think that if we can start to build better technology to enable a much better secondary experience, we can start to eliminate a lot of fees, build, you know, a better product and just build a better secondary market for domain names. Um, and so sort of from there is we're talking with a lot of major investors and brokers from just like traditional domain land. And, you know, some of these guys have like 100,000, a million domains, you know, all of them are worth like $10,000 plus. And secondary fees on the centralized marketplaces are in the range of like 20 to 25%. Um, and so especially, you know, that's a, a great example of just like middlemen extracting fees from people. And so we think, you know, we can offer a much better experience, you know, and, you know, give a lot more value back to customers just by eliminating those fees, offering more functionality. So that's sort of like our... our major market that we're talking with these days. And, you know, hopefully as we can start to build that out on chain, you know, we'll see a variety of people that are, you know, investing in NFTs also start to uh, want to invest in domain names. But then with ENS, this is different, right? You're not moving your ENS addresses to 3DNS, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, got it. So you've got that. So it's it's really like a web two play, right? It's like all of all of the stuff that you've got on Name, name cheap, Google domains, which is now Squarespace domains, that sort of thing. Yep. yep. Got it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So any anything else, like any cool alpha or things that we need to know about 3DNS before I move into the second part of our conversation? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, two, two fun things I'll leave for people. So, you know, I think first, and, you know, this is getting teased a little bit on social, but so if you notice, our website is 3dns.box. So .box is uh, one of the newest domain endings that's being issued right now. And so it will be the first 
uh, TLD, which is top level domain, pretty much just like domain ending. It'll be the first TLD that is fully on chain, but also fully ICANN compliant. And so that is going to be launching right now. Our launch date is September 13th. Just being very fair to our developers, there may be some delays on that date. But generally, I'd say at some point in the next uh, one to two months, you'll see Dotbox domains go live. And so, you know, this is a, a great opportunity to go scoop up, you know, pretty high value domains at registration prices um, just right out the gate. Um, so, you know, make sure to keep an eye on that. You can follow them on Twitter at Box Domains. Uh, and then we'll also be posting updates from our Twitter as well. And then the other bit is that probably later today, potentially tomorrow, we'll be announcing our rebate program. Um, and so there'll be a lot of cool incentives uh, for users. And those will start to diminish as more domains get onboarded. So you know, make sure to go take a look at the platform as soon as possible. And you guys can maximize your rebates. Nice. I signed up for the wait list. And I really want, my name is Tim Cox, C-O-X. So I need Cox.box. Let's go. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, I, I, I will see if we can help arrange that one for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hooking it up. Uh, that's Hell awesome. Yeah. Cool. You, you won't, you'd be surprised how many times people ask me how I spell my last name. And I'm like, how do you think <laughs> Cool. All right. So, George, you are a BD champion. And I'm seeing uh, a lot in, in your your name on Discord and your ENS. You're repping that hiringdevs.eth. I get that. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. But, but the thing I see in Web3 in the crypto space is people are hiring devs and they're hiring BD. Uh, a lot of times founders do BD and then they're like, I I ain't got time for that. I need somebody. Yeah. I need to hire somebody to do BD, which is a whole conversation in itself on Twitter. Yeah. You've got yeah. a great thread on tips for BD for somebody who's been doing it for a long time. And so if you could just add, this is I, I come from a nonprofit marketing background. I got into yeah. crypto in November 2021 after being laid off because of COVID. And uh, I started doing marketing. And then I was like, there's like 30 people in the space. So the best marketing I think that you could do is partnerships and uh, yeah. new lines of business and working together and building, right? So yeah. now I'm in biz dev, I'm in partnerships, I'm in growth. Oh. So could, if you could give me some of your hottest tips on how, how to how to work with people, how to as a maybe a small fish get hooked up with the big fish, you know, like give me yeah. give, give me some coaching, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think the the like two things that come to mind immediately. One of which you touched on a bit is that like BD can be a lot of things, and I think one of the big questions for projects is what flavor of BD makes the most sense for what you're working on and like thinking about that and like, how can you improve that function? So, you know, like, you know, to your point for a lot of people, it's probably going to be partnerships initially, but you know, it can also look like just like straight marketing. It can look more like sales, you know, it can look like DevRel depending on, you know, what kind of project you are. So I'd say like, you know, first start to think about like, you know, you as an, an, a candidate that's like maybe considering what company or what job to take, you know, think about like what are kind of the sorts of problems you want to think about. You know, it's like if you do lean a little bit more technical, you want to do maybe more of a DevRel versus like a straight partnerships. You know, maybe you look at like an L1 foundation, you know, something that's looking to really build like a developer ecosystem. You know, if you do want to, like if you lean more salesy, you know, maybe you look for something that has like an established product and like a business model and like sort of go to market plan, whatever. 
Um, so I think, you know, that's sort of number one. Number two is then really focusing on like, how do you solve problems? Like realistically, all business development is, is like figuring out what problems people have, figuring out how you can solve them and figuring out how you convince them to let you solve their problems instead of someone else. And so a lot of it is like people highly recommend just like getting out there, going to as many events as possible and, you know, just trying to, you know, meet people, talk to them, listen to them, you know, ask what their problems are. One of my favorite questions I'll ask potential partners is like in an ideal world, like what would you receive? Or, you know, it's like, what is some variation of that question? You know, like, what is the perfect deal that you wish you could have that like no one will give you right now? Um, and I think, you know, like, as you start to like ask questions like that, you can start to have people, you know, come out and be like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, if you can solve this, I will give you business. And like, as you start to hear more and more of those, you can then start to decide like, okay, what is the most compelling answer here? who's the most compelling partner to work with, who has the the biggest problem and like the most commitment to working with us. Got it. So you're in, in this, in this, in your response, I think that you were, you're coaching me in like landing some, like a job, right? So, so both, I, I think the, the mentality is the same for if you're looking for a job or if like, say, you know, say like with pool together, you know, yeah. like as you're talking to people, you know, it's like you you guys talk to most of the projects and so just like like really trying to listen to them. I think that's the other thing like bad BD people get wrong is they spend a lot more time talking and like trying to convince someone that their product is the right solution instead of spending as much time asking questions, trying to listen to them, like let your user tell you what their problems are and like why your product is the right solution. No, I love that. I think in your thread, like there was a lot of like empathy, right? So you you need yeah. to have empathy to know like what that problem is. Like hanging a photo on a wall is what yeah. the user wants, not a hammer, right? So if you yeah. have a yeah. crazy hammerless way to do that, that's fine as long as it, the photo gets on the wall. The same thing with relationships, right? Relationships are just so key in this industry. And, yeah. you know, I'm in one of these BD Telegram groups and that I, I started talking about subdomains. Because I was like, it'd be cool to get like a BD subdomain because because from that you create this directory, namestone. Yeah. They have these directory that when they do a subdomain, which is really cool that I can like actually go through because on Telegram, people don't really update their Telegram profiles. It's hard to find their Twitters, their LinkedIn, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it's, yeah. So, so I, in that, I, I, that was my hammer thing was, I was like, Hey, let's do subdomains for BD. And then people were like, P I get horrible pitches. That's all I want solved. Like their picture on the wall in their mind in the, in this group is just quality deals that deal flow yeah. that comes yeah. to them. And yeah. they don't care about anything else other than that. And, and so it was interesting to me because for me, the way that I, I operate is meeting people, learning about their project learning yeah. all these intricacies. And then what's fun is to be like, oh, here's how, here's based on my suite of connections that I have and other product knowledge that I have, not even just pulled together. Here's how, here's some people that might be able to jive with you and what you're trying to do. And recently there's a, this site called portals.fi, which they, it's, it's, it's the zaps from Zapper. They, gotcha. they created a separate product where you could just go from token into vault. You can swap just like you would swap on Uniswap. 
but into vault. So you don't have to like even think about DAP front ends and uh, and then Rainbow Wallet. And I'm like, let's get the it just in talking with those two parties about like, oh, a pool together portals.fi rainbow integration thing would be so great for new new people to crypto that they could just swap yeah. in from USDC into say like some weirdo you know optimism token vault you know or just something thinking about like a win-win you know thinking about what that perfect storm is and sometimes yeah. it's not a two-party solution sometimes it's a multi-party solution so it's fun to that for me is like the people stuff meeting people and like actually making friends and and talking yeah. and learning and then coming up with these like crazy harebrain schemes that at some point hit you know yeah that, those are my yeah. two that's what keeps me going. <laughs> I I totally agree with that. I it reminded me of if you know Seraphim from Lido. Uh, he had a tweet. I think it was yesterday where he was like, "Yeah, it, it's wild in the BD side of crypto because the world is so small that eventually you run out of people to get introduced to." And at a certain point, someone's like, "Oh, have you met this guy?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, we used to work together," or "Oh yeah, we worked on this project together." And it's so true. It, it's such a small space, and so. You know, I think also, yeah, for people getting started, you know, biggest recommendation is like just try and make some friends because, yeah, like the networks are not that big. And, you know, if you can build some genuine relationships with people, demonstrate that you're not a grifter, you're not here just to try and make a quick buck. You know, you actually like care about the tech or like thinking interesting thoughts and like want to do interesting work. You know, that's the best way to just to get started. No, I follow Seraphim. And and uh, another thing that you had in your tweet thread is this, the idea of a CRM, right? Because sure, there's only 30 people, you know, it's a very small, it's a small group of people, but yeah. there's still a lot of people and there's so many conversations and I yeah. have so many like pull together cross rainbow, yep. pull together yep. cross all just and any pro, any group, any group of people, I have a pulled together conversation about that. But you were talking about using folders and like actually organizing your Telegram in that way, which I love because you can search it, right? You can just search yeah. for a keyword or where did I talk about this? And it and yep. it pops it up. But but my a challenge for me is I have I work with a bunch of devs at Generation Software, which are developing, they're supporting the pull together protocol. And we have this launch coming up this week. Tomorrow we're launching the private beta of V5 of Pull Together. Uh, which allows you to deposit any token into any ERC-46260 yield source, which is so great. I'm so pumped about it. That's awesome. But I have to communicate to the team conversations that I have, and they're not going to go look in any Google Doc. They're not going to go look in even Notion. Even though I track it in Notion, I have a CRM built in Notion where like, anytime I have a meeting, I quick make a note and I connect it with the company entry or whatever. I'm finding that, and this is feedback for me and my, as you know, with my coworkers is like, Hey, if you can just post in the partnerships channel in our discord, just a, a quick summary of like the most distilled, you know, concentrated information that lets us know where to go or what, what you're doing it like basically live in the TLDR realm. Yeah. So I'm wondering, yeah. how do you how do you do that? How do you do internal comms? How do you you know let your your devs your team know what's going on when all of what's going on is in your Telegram? So great question that I wish I had an answer to. I I can share some of the the tips and lessons and tricks, but I think ultimately you know at the end of the day, the best solution is the one that people use. That's right, and that's right. that solution also is going to vary if you're a 
four person team or a 10 person team or a 20 or a 50 or a hundred person team. Um, and so, you know, I think generally like advice I've gotten is like, there's like the biggest inflection points for startups are when you cross 17 people and when you cross 50. So, you know, I think in terms of, okay, so I'll take a step back. So first piece of advice is don't over-operationalize your processes and don't change your processes constantly by just like adding a bunch of like random work. Like no one wants meetings to talk about meetings, to talk about the work you need to do. And then you only have like two hours in the week to like actually do work. So like, first off, you know, whatever you do, try to make it like as seamless as possible. And especially try and like have as few limitations on your devs as possible. So, you know, that's number one. Number two, like, you know, I think oftentimes startups, like you might try a process, it doesn't work or you don't get dev spot in, you know, it's like for whatever reason has like some friction. So then all of a sudden you change and like next month you have an entirely new process and the next month you have a new process. And that stuff leads to like even more confusion, even more frustration and just like so many more problems. So definitely like as you're getting something set up, spend a little bit of time thinking about it and then ultimately just like hard commit. And anyways, so into like more like actionable stuff. So from there, generally what I've done that works pretty well in the early stages is we end up, so this is like your your one to 17-ish range. You know, ultimately you need someone on the tech side who's like, you know, corralling the engineers that is also speaking in a business language um, because there needs to be somebody who actually has ownership that is ensuring that like devs are building things that users want. And so, you know, number one, like you you just can't run an org that's like 100% dev first and like devs don't really listen to biz dev. Like biz dev is like, you know, looked down on, which like is the case in a lot of orgs. So like that's not going to work. You need somebody who can like try to cross both. So like for instance, with 3VNS, you know, we're a team of four right now, three devs and myself. So it's pretty straightforward. I have syncs with Paul very frequently. I try to add him to all of the important calls. And so, you know, Paul is 100% in the loop and then he can relay information as needed to the engineers. Um, And then, you know, if there's like specific one-off calls, I'll hop on calls to like just talk it out with them. The issue we really hit at Commonwealth where when I left Commonwealth, we were 22. We had about a thousand partners that were using our product. So, you know, again, like started hitting the point where I had to leave group chats and Telegram because there is a maximum number of group chats you can be in and it is very high. But at that point, you know, it's like you can't rely on phone calls. You can't, you know, be doing daily syncs to like tell people about what's going on. You need to start to abstract away some of the process. And so in that, we would make sure to add all of the respective leads from Eng into our different group chats. And then whenever specific communities were having issues, so like, you know, say someone had an active bug we were working on, those respective leads would be a lot more active in those chats, make sure they're keeping an eye on it. And then, you know, if a community wasn't having, you know, explicit issues, they would be totally free to like sort of ignore the chat a little bit. The next piece beyond that is like, I'm a really big Notion guy. I know a lot of people hate Notion. You can kind of run the same system in Google Docs, but Notion works really well with tables. And so whenever I have calls with partners, I will update the specific card for that partner. And so then, you know, to your TLDR thing, if at any point anyone wants just like a really quick overview of like 
why are we talking to this company or this person? What is our goal in working with them? Where are things at? Like, are there explicit pain points that they want to rest or, you know, whatever. All of that context will live on this specific doc in Notion. And so then anyone can just go click to that doc and get a pretty easy overview of like the entire history of that client um, or partner or customer, whatever you want to call them. And so, you know, I think getting stuff like that running quickly is important because like the other side effect is, you know, if I'm the one that's on all of these calls, like the last thing we want is that all of the information is stuck in my head. As you sort of expand from there and get like more into Notion, Notion has a lot of really good Zapier integrations. Uh, And so Zapier is this like automation tool that uses like if this, then that logic. And so you can have it. So if there like any card in your CRM gets updated, so, you know, I go in there, add some more context, you can have it automatically send that card into say a Slack channel. Um, And so then you can have some of these feeds automatically running. And so then like devs, you know, can just look at the Slack channel automatically see like, okay, you know, we just had a call with this partner or whatever. Let me go look at what's going on. Um, and you can get into a lot more sophisticated kinds of automation with Zapier. But I found that sort of that three-way link of like Zapier, Notion, Slack can start to be a pretty manageable way of translating information to the broader org. Nice. Well, thanks for the pro tips. And uh, and thanks for spending time with the Pool Together community, George. This is awesome. I really think if you're, if you're so Web3 and you've got domains... You got to get them on 3DS, 3DNS, right? Or are you truly Web3? Are you truly crypto if you've got Web2 DNSs and they're not NFTs? Come on. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't trust centralized registrars. You know, we've yeah. been over this before. So. Yeah. I mean, not not your, not your keys, not your coins, not your Ds, not your... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. I'll work on that language. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, George. Um, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. All right. All right. Have a good rest of your day, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Pool Together community podcast. You can visit pooltogether.com to deposit. And we'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. So visit the Pool Together Discord and let us know.